Good morning. I uh, have been given the privilege to continue this series in John with you all this morning. I always love the opportunity to be up here. Uh, we're going to be continuing in John 14. If you've been with us, we've been in John for a long time, and we're going to stay in John because it's an excellent book. But if you were here last week, we looked at the beginning portion of chapter 14, and it's a very famous portion where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he ends at the very end, and he says, coming up, you're going to do great things, and you're going to do great things in my name. And then he jumps to where we're picking up today, which is verse 15. And it's very important that we remember the context this is coming out of, because Jesus is going to tell us today what enables us to do great things, the power that we need because we can't do it on our own, and that's the Holy Spirit. Before we jump in, though, I think uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit is something that for many of us probably has a lot of some history attached to it, whether you were involved in a, a certain church or a, a certain movement. Maybe it's a topic that can be very confusing, or maybe it's just something that's a little uncomfortable. But regardless of where we sit today, my prayer is that as we, as we hear from God's Word and as we hear from the Spirit, that we will leave transformed. And I know we say that a lot, but not just in the heart, not just in the mind, not just, okay, now I know a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, that's good, but that it would show up practically in our lives. Because I think that's what a lot of us, and myself included, miss out on. Is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is not just something we talk about, but He's very relevant and very practical. So let me pray for us before we jump in, and then we'll jump into John 14. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this place, the freedom to worship, comfortable seats to sit in, air conditioning, all these things. Lord, most of all, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are truth, that you are here now in this place we pray that every word that is said would be your words. We pray that each and every one of us would sense your, your presence right now. That we would sense, God, that you are with us. You do not leave us alone, but you are here to teach us about yourself, to encourage us, and even to convict us. May that be true of all of us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you can open your Bibles to John 14. We're going to pick up in verse 15. But before we jump in, I have to say, ask this question. It's rhetorical, so don't answer out loud. When you heard this morning in the very beginning that we were going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, what is the first thing you thought of? What, what jumped into your mind? Because I think if we're honest, most of us, most of us in this room have a right theology about the Holy Spirit. Maybe we would recognize that He's important, that He is God. You know, we've said the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know He's there. But as Ryan said earlier, Jesus, we talk about all the time, and that's very appropriate. The Father, the Creator, we talk about, and that's appropriate. But how often do we talk about, think about, pray to the Holy Spirit. Because I think for a lot of us, maybe when we hear the word Holy Spirit or we hear something about the Holy Spirit, our first thought is towards maybe abuse of the Holy Spirit. 
whether that's you've been a part of a movement or a church, or you've been somewhere to where it seems like the Holy Spirit has been manipulated. He's been used in excess. He's been kind of controlled to do what we want him to do. This is not to discount that the Holy Spirit does incredible things and works miraculous things in people's lives all across the world and here in America. He does. But I think what has happened for a lot of us, myself included, is we don't want to manipulate the Spirit. We don't want to use Him in excess or abuse Him. So we swing to the other side and we feel like we're on the good side, the right side. But my fear is that maybe we're trading one abuse for the other. We're trading excess for neglect. Because the Holy Spirit is God. It's God's Spirit. And He should be so foundational in our lives. He should be relevant, not forgotten. But if I'm honest with myself, and I think if a lot of us are honest, He can be forgotten. If I were to tell you that starting today, you could have Jesus Christ Himself next to you for the rest of your life, you'd maybe pass out because you'd be a little afraid and know, oh man, i got to change a lot of things. But you'd have Jesus Christ right next to you, okay? And Jesus would be next to you as a counselor, as a helper, as a friend. When you're struggling with a decision, he's there to help you. When you need to hear truth because you're ignoring it, he's there to tell you. When you need encouragement because you're feeling down, he's there to encourage you. When you're really feeling guilty, he's there to give you grace, forgiveness, to tell you that he loves you. If, if you were to have that, how much peace would you have in your life? How fast would you grow and transform? And, and would you see yourself become what we see in Scripture, which is, is a believer full of hope and of joy and satisfaction, contentment, peace? I think a lot of us, if, if we imagined that to be the case, would say, man, that'd be, that would be awesome. I, I need that a lot. So why do we think the Holy Spirit is any less than that? How is he any less than if Jesus was physically standing next to me, if he is in fact the Spirit of God that is here with us, dwelling, living in our hearts? How would he provide any less? And Jesus wants to let us know that this morning in in John 14, starting in verse 15. So let's read and see what he has to say. Verse 15 starts out and it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So a lot of things jump out here. If you were doing your personal worship this week and you were journaling and reading through this, you probably wrote a lot of questions here. You're like, okay, there's a lot of things here. First off, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. Why is that? He's also called the spirit of truth. What does that mean? It's talking about the world's going to think he's foolish. They won't know him. They won't believe in him, but he's going to live and dwell inside of me. What does that mean? It seems like it should be relevant. And then the first thing, if you're like me, it jumps out. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what are those? You know, is that every single commandment in the Bible, because if that's true, we might want to go home and redecorate and start writing commandments all on our walls and paint them up so we can remind ourselves every day. 
Well, it's not that. So what is it? If you love me, Jesus says, you'll keep my commandments. And then he just jumps. He does what um, Westerners don't do. He jumps to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell us the commandments. He just jumps to the Holy Spirit. You're going to have this helper. He's a spirit of truth. It's important to understand what he's saying here. The, the word helper, if you have the ESV, that's what it says. If you have a different translation, it may say friend or advocate or counselor or something of that nature. The problem is here, we don't have an English word that kind of defines what's being said here in the Greek. In the Greek, it, the, na- the word is parakletos, which literally means to call alongside. But in secular Greek, this word means uh, a legal assistant or a legal advocate. It's literally someone who goes into court on your behalf and stands as an advocate or representative for you. So the word here that John is using is parakletos, this helper, this friend, this advocate who goes into court and represents you. Now, what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is not just a helper. He, sometimes that can be associated maybe in your mind of someone that's inferior or subordinate, somebody that, that does what you want him to do at your beck and call. It's not like that. It's someone that performs functions for you at the heavenly court that you could not perform. So what is that? What does he do? And one of the things that, that John tells us in the very beginning is he's the spirit of truth. Meaning he is in fact truth. If you ever thought about this question, maybe you haven't. Who wrote the Bible? You know, there's a lot of authors, a lot of people wrote the Bible, but who wrote it? God. Okay. It's a good answer. It's what I said in Sunday school. But you know who wrote the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Second Timothy 3.15 says all scripture is God breathed, right? So the word of God the word of truth, the thing that we cling to as the only thing that we can know for sure in life that is true and absolute, God's word is the Holy Spirit. He is the one that wrote it. He is the one that embodies it. He is the one that brings that into our lives. It's who he is. He's the spirit of truth. And the world looks at him and thinks he's, you know, something we make up to feel better about ourselves, right? God's living inside of us to comfort us but he is in fact truth. Maybe the most famous passage of the Holy Spirit is Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit. Right? Maybe when you were young in Sunday school, they made you memorize it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The end always gets a little hazy. You know, in the beginning, you're like, you're a kid, you're like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Because it's like the long words. It still happens now. But he is... Those things, they're the fruits of him. That's who he is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, goodness, all these things. So why is Jesus connecting the Holy Spirit with, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Do you ever have those days? If you don't, come tell me after because you're my hero. Do you ever have those days where you wake up? The night before was fine. It was a great night. You had steak and mashed potatoes for dinner. And then you, you watched your favorite TV show, your bed was clean and fresh, and the air conditioning was at a, a cool 72 degrees, and it was cool in your house, and you went to bed, and you're like, this is great, life's great. You wake up in the morning, and something happened when you were sleeping. I don't know what it was, but you wake up, and today is a bad day. Just is. You wake up, and you say, you know what, if I get to work and someone ate the last bagel, game over. If I, if I wake up, 
and I'm out of Keurig's, it's, it's game over. Because then I got to wait in Starbucks line for an hour. Do you ever have those days where you just want to be rebellious? It's just going to be a bad day. You know truth, you know what's right, you know how you should act, but you say, nope, I'm going to sin twice. It's just going to be one of those days. Well, what do you do? What do you do on those days where you wake up, which happens to us a lot because we live in a messed up world that affects us? Do you, do you maybe write on, a, on all the mirrors in your house, you know, be obedient today, be good, be patient? Do you maybe write note cards and put them all over the place? Maybe do you punch yourself in the leg every time you're impatient? I would not have a leg if that was the case. Not to say that some of these things aren't, aren't good and helpful, but do you ever pray to the Holy Spirit? Because he's the one that gives you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. They are his fruits. Jesus here is doing something really profound. He's, he's interrelating loving God by keeping his commandments with the Holy Spirit as our helper. Because it, it's true, as we previously sung, that we are only justified, which is a big Bible word for God has accepted us. We're made right in God's eyes only by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then God's unmerited grace to you. That's the only reason that we could be here today and know that we're accepted and forgiven. But God didn't leave us alone. He didn't say, I love you. I forgive you. Now just kind of don't mess up life too much till you get to heaven. Just figure it out. He doesn't leave us alone. It's a Bible word called sanctification, which means becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what God wants for you now. He wants you to seek to become more like Jesus, his attitude, his behavior, the way he loved, his sacrifice. And how do you do this? How is this possible for anyone in this room to do? It's through the Holy Spirit. You know, James 3, 11 says this, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? You don't have to be a mountain man, which I'm not, to know that a spring only pours either fresh or salt water. It can't do both. So what's James saying here? What's the Holy Spirit's role? His role is to enable you to pour forth one type of water consistently. And you know what that is? His fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. This is why we've been given the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 15, Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if you're like me, it freaks you out a little bit because you're wondering, is Jesus saying that in order for me to love him, I have to be morally upright all the time? No. So you can breathe easy. God does care about your attitudes. He does care about your actions. He does care how you live, how you think. He doesn't want you to presume upon his grace. He doesn't want you to, to take his forgiveness and say, okay, well, I'm still going to do whatever I want to do because I'm forgiven. But what he's telling you here is not that in order to love God, you have to fulfill these ethical, moral qualifications. Because in the context of this passage, what John is saying over and over and over again is commandments like this. Receive me, follow me, believe in God, abide in my word, receive the Holy Spirit, believe in the light. Has, 
very little to do with do this, 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 this. We like the checklist, right? It feels good when we can check things off. But that's not what's going on here. That's not what Jesus is saying. So what is it that Jesus is saying? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What are those? It's very simple. To love God, to crave him, to treasure him, to enjoy him, to desire him above and over everything else. And the way that you do that is through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. And the person who seeks God and loves him and puts him above everything else in their life through the Spirit is the person that, in fact, is truly satisfied, displays the fruits of the Spirit, loves their neighbor. It just happens. Now, if you've known me for a while, you would know that before I got married, I was not a picnic guy. Not a big fan of the picnics. It just never really made much sense to me. I don't know if you're like this. When you make a picnic, you got to get a basket, right? So you got the basket, you got the blanket, and then you got to get, you got to make all the food and you got to put it in Tupperware. The problem with Tupperware is you never really have enough Tupperware or at least Tupperware that fits the food that you have because you put it in the dishwasher and it kind of gets all mangled up. So you got to throw it away and get new one. You always run out. And then you got to get napkins. You got to get forks. You got to get a water bottle. And if you put the napkin too close to the water bottle, well, then the napkin gets wet and then you can't use it. So you got to use your shirt or sand or something. And it, it, it just it becomes a mess. And if you're like me, where I'm about a foot away from touching my toes, how do you sit comfortably? I can't sit Indian style. So what am, what am I going to do? Am I going to lay on my chest and eat? That's awkward. So picnics for me just never really made much sense. It was like, why don't we just make dinner, walk five feet to the table, sit down, eat, put a plate in the dishwasher, and then go do something else. <laughs> but when I got married, I realized that my wife loves picnics. So we would go on picnics. And when I first began to go on these picnics, it was simply because I love my, lo- my wife and she loved picnics. So I wanted to love her and to, to begin to learn how to love the things that she loves. So we would go to the beach, typically at sunset, which was very gracious of her. So I wasn't profusely sweating. And we put the blanket out and we'd have the food and we'd watch the waves crash over and have great conversation. And what happened was, Something really weird. I became a picnic guy. Don't judge me. I love picnics now. Like, I actually plan picnics now. Like, it does not seem like a waste of time to pack up a basket anymore. It seems like a great idea. I mean, I actually, when I was in Kenya, I bought a blanket for picnics. Now, the reason that I love picnics is not because I begrudgingly drag my feet to go and to serve my wife by going on picnics. It was because you said, you know what? My wife loves this. I want to love her, and I want to love the things that she loved. And what's happened now is I love picnics. And this is the same same way with God. God is not wanting us to think that life is about begrudgingly dragging our feet, straining to be as morally upright so when he looks at us, we're just great ethical people. Because what happens is the people that try to be obedient so that God will love them typically end up being the people that are disobedient. 
And the people that feel worthless and guilty, full of shame, despicable. God doesn't want that for you. That's not why Jesus came. God wants you to simply love him and love the things that he loves. And what happens is when you love God through the spirit, you will begin to love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. It just happens because the spirit is living and dwelling inside of you. And despite all of this, this great encouragement and this great gift that Jesus is talking about here, the disciples here feel a little abandoned. And so, and so Jesus is anticipating this. And in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a, a little while and the world will see me no more but you will see me because I live. You also will live in that day. You will know that I'm in my father and you and me and I in you, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. He, it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Jesus comes and he's anticipating their feeling of abandonment. And he says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as children who are bereft of parents who can't support them. I'm going to leave for a little bit. Jesus has done this all throughout John. He's given them these statements that he's going to die. It's coming very soon. He says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to come see you and you're going to get it you're going to realize that I am in fact in the Father. We are one. I am who I said I was. And then he says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will love you and the Father will love you and I will manifest myself to you. And this guy Judas here, this is not Iscariot, the betrayer, but probably the son or brother of James is really confused And so he pipes up and he says this in the next verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So he's confused because Jesus keeps saying the world's not going to know him. The world's not going to see him. And then Jesus says, I'm going to manifest myself to you. And this, this guy, Judas is like, how's that going to happen? Because he's thinking about the prophecy that that the kingdom of God is going to come to earth. And so he's thinking, if that comes and Jesus returns in glory, how's everybody not going to see that? Well, Jesus isn't talking about that. That's it's going to happen. But Jesus is speaking about something different that they're having a little bit hard, a hard time tracking with. And this is how he responds. Jesus says this in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. See, Jesus is telling them that the manifestation that is going to be made in the life of believers, in the life of the disciples, the apostles, is not that there's going to be a physical kingdom that will be here right now but is that Jesus is going to send someone, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, who will make a permanent dwelling within your heart. 
divinity living inside you, the immediate presence of God inside of you to where His Spirit floods your brain, floods your heart, speaks truth to you, convicts you of sin, reminds you of the fruits of the Spirit, gives you the desire to love God when you don't want to. That's the manifestation Jesus is talking about. And, and the central focus in this entire passage is love. Love is everything here. Love calls us to love. And when I come home from a long day of work and I see a Publix carrot cake or a fresh market apple pie on the counter, game over. We're going on an hour-long walk. It's food channel night, whatever you want. Because when I'm loved, if you're like me, when I'm loved, my natural reaction is to love in return, right? Nobody is shown great love and then says, oh, I can't stand that person. It just doesn't happen. So if you're going to sit here and you're going to hear from God's word and we're going to claim that we believe this, we believe that the God of the universe has loved us enough that he would give us amazing grace. He would send his son to live and to die, to be brutally murdered for our sake and our sin, rise from the grave to prove victory over sin, promise us eternity with him, and then say, hey, listen, that's not all. I'm also not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you my spirit to help you, to be an advocate for you, that will enable you to love me, will enable you to display fruits of the spirit, will give you contentment when you're suffering, peace when you're struggling in life. That if you sit here and think about that love that God has shown you, what naturally always happens? We love God in return. We have to. That's what happens. When we experience the love of God, we love in return. If you're sitting here now and you're hearing this and you're thinking about this and you're overwhelmed with a sense of God's love for you, you know what that is? It's the Holy Spirit inside you, teaching you truth, reminding you of truth, convicting you. That little, you know, tension or prick as it's called inside you that tells you, oh, I should forgive this person or, wow, God is so incredible. It's the Holy Spirit living inside you as a helper. Jesus puts it like this at the end. He says, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus comes and he says, listen, I'm telling you all these things now, but in time the helper is going to come. The father is going to send him to you. He's going to be living and dwelling inside of you, divinity inside of you. And he's going to come and he's going to teach you everything. Everything that you would not be able to understand on your own, he will teach you. Everything that you need to remember that you so easily forget, He's going to bring the remembrance, the Holy Spirit. And from that comes peace. Not peace as the Romans thought, Pax Romana, which was through the sword, the absence of warfare, 
but peace because we understand that an innocent man died on our behalf, who was God in the flesh, rose from the grave, has forgiven us, accepted us, and given us his spirit to live. Peace comes from that. Because though Jesus is not physically next to us, his spirit is living inside of us. And man, should that bring peace. But sometimes we, we miss out because we neglect him. So we love God by keeping Jesus' commandments to love. He makes this explicit in the Gospels. He's asked, what are the greatest commandments? And what does he say? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't give a checklist. doesn't say, do these 10 things. He says, love me and love others. And the only way that we can do that is through the Spirit. I want to close with this illustration that Francis Chan gives. I think it's helpful. He says, imagine that I told you that I played basketball. And when I played basketball, God supernaturally took over my body and gave me great abilities. Then I invited you to the gym. I said, hey, come watch me play. Now, you walking into the door, you're going to think what? You're going to think, I'm going to make every shot. I'm going to be incredible at dribbling. I'm going to do 360 between the leg dunks. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a show. And then you show up and you walk in because you're excited to see this. It's God taking over someone. It's going to be amazing. You walk in and I miss a bunch of shots. I dribble the ball out of bounds. I can barely touch the net. You're going to be sitting there thinking, uh, you might want to think about your statement. I don't really think God's taken over your body. You're not very good. Now, we as believers, right, we understand that we're forgiven and accepted because of Jesus, but that he hasn't left us alone. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth teaches us about God, reminds us of who he is and what he said, and drives us to love. Now, if we are people that never love other people, never take time on our, our schedule to love others that need it, don't have any peace, never have joy and suffering, don't display any of the fruits of the Spirit and literally remain the same as we are now to the rest of our lives. What does that say about what we claim? And this is not to say that if, if every single day you don't become an increasingly better person, that you might want to question the validity of your faith. It's not what I'm saying. Because people have mountaintops and they have valleys. But what I am saying is that if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and when we don't neglect Him, we grow in loving God with everything we have. And naturally, we begin to love others as well and display the fruits of the Spirit. This is how we love our God. We keep His commandments to love him, to crave him, to desire him. And naturally we begin to love others and display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So don't neglect the Spirit. This church needs the Spirit. You need the Spirit. This city needs the Spirit. This country, this world needs the Spirit. Jesus has promised us all great things will be done in his name but we can't do any of them 
without the Holy Spirit and acknowledging him, praying to him, asking of him, being mindful of his presence in our lives. He is the one that enables us to do so. As we close, I want to read a prayer for you from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers. We've used this a few times here at Rio Vista. It's great. And in here, there's a prayer called God the Spirit. And I think it says better than I could say the heart of this passage and maybe the heart of many of us in this room and myself is included. So as I read, will you please pray with me? Oh Lord God, I pray not so much for graces as for the spirit himself, because I feel his absence and act by my own spirit in everything. Give me not weak desires, but the power of his presence. For this is the surest way to have all his graces. And when I have the seal, I have the impression also. He can heal, help, quicken, humble suddenly and easily, can work grace and life effectually, and being eternal, he can give grace eternally. Save me from great hindrances, from being content with a little measure of the Spirit, for thinking thou wilt not give me more. When I feel my lack of him, light up life and faith. For when I lose thee, I am neither in the dark and cannot see thee, or Satan and my natural abilities content me with a little light, so that I seek no further for the spirit of life. Teach me then what to do. Should I merely humble myself and not stir up my heart? Should I meditate and use all means to bring him near, not being contented by one means, but trust him to give me a blessing by the use of all, depending only upon and waiting always for thy light by use of means. It is a duty or an error to pray and look for the fullness of the Spirit in me. Am I mistaken in feeling I am empty of the Spirit because I do not sense His presence within when all the time I am most empty and could be more full by faith in Christ? Was the fullness of the Spirit and the apostles chiefly a power giving the substance outside themselves in Christ in whom was their life and joy? Teach me to find and know fullness of the Spirit only in Jesus. Amen.